Welcome to the Lockdown and Then What interactive podcast series. It's okay to be in lockdown. What's not okay is to stay in lockdown. My name is Jose Ucar, and together with Liz Hamlet, we are co-hosting this podcast because we have experienced what can be achieved when we set our mind free and take control over our life so that we make it happen instead of it happening to us. This podcast series is a unique opportunity to open up and be yourself, to ask all the crazy questions you don't dare to ask anyone, to vent and gain new perspectives. This is your space. This is where you turn lockdown into anything positive you can possibly imagine. Hi and welcome to the Lockdown and Then What podcast. I'm your co-host Liz Hamlet um, and I'm here with some amazing co-hosts and guests and also a live audience um, for our episode two of the podcast. So um, I'll introduce myself um, and then I'll um, pass over to my co-host Jose to say hello and then we will be introducing our special guest today which is Charlotte Hurst, imposter syndrome coach. So hi Charlotte, how are you? you i'm good thank you liz how are you amazing thanks so we're going to get you to introduce yourself in a minute so um before i pass over to jose um i'm liz hamlet and i'm founder of spark succeeds um i'm a transformational coach and business mentor and i'm also the host of the how to spark success podcast where i'm stealing the success secrets of um savvy and successful business owners so jose do you want to say hello and introduce yourself of course. Hello, Liz. Hello, Charlie. Lovely audience. Welcome to the second episode of Lockdown and Then What? It is a pleasure to be here and to be co-hosting this together with Liz. And just a quick introduction about myself and what I do. I guess I could summarize it by saying that I love business and I've been um, very active uh, internationally, supporting uh, different businesses sell their products and market their products worldwide. And then a few years ago, I decided to change all of that and to focus on uh, coaching and training. So I became an NLP master trainer and I run my own business called Finding Excellence. And I mainly focus on everything that has to do with communication and public speaking. And I'm super excited to have Charlie here today because the topic is super related in a way to what I do and, you know, to what sometimes I, I guess I could say I suffer from. So welcome, Charlie. So um, we were really excited. The whole part of this podcast is it's an interactive podcast. We have a live audience asking our questions, so we're never quite sure what's going to come up, um, and it keeps us on our toes. But we were really um, interested in inviting um, our next guest um, on today. So Charlotte Hurst, or Charlie, um, is the imposter syndrome coach. So she's a coach particularly specialising in imposter syndrome. And I know it's a term spoken about a Lot, but actually you know do we fully understand that so it's um, great to have an opportunity to invite Charlie here today to tell us a bit more so welcome Charlie do you want to um, tell us a bit more about yourself about your career journey I would love that yeah so um, I started out treading the boards I was a, an actress in the West End 
And um, after doing that for a little bit, I found myself in an educational context. So working predominantly with children and some adults too, um, in more of a theatre domain. And I became completely passionate about mental health throughout that journey. I had my own experience with clinical depression um, and also some of the people I was mixing with too. And I decided to write a play um, about mental health. And at the end of that process, I was completely obsessed with uh, working in mental health. And that's what I ended up doing. So my coaching journey now as an imposter syndrome combines all of these different practices, I suppose. I kind of use all of them as inspiration for what I do now, which is working with people who have the imposter syndrome, who tend to be in the creative industries, my clients anyway. So yeah, that's me. Amazing. And I've watched your BGI talk um, this week. That's really interested. Um, do you want to tell us a bit more about the reference to the orchid and dandelion story? So just <laughs> that. And I thought that like embodies it exactly um, of like why some people are more susceptible to this. The orchid and the dandelion and my, my David Attenborough impression. Yeah, the, the kind of theory behind that is to do with personality types. You know, that um, it always interests me how you could have siblings who had had the exact same upbringing and yet one of them may have been really affected by certain stuff and the other siblings weren't. So when I was researching the imposter syndrome, I looked a lot at personality types. This idea that some of us are born uh, dandelions and can just survive and thrive in any environment. You can be anywhere and you're just going to uh, be okay basically and then you have orchids and orchids require this really specific set of circumstances in order to flourish and, and thrive but when they have those needs met they're just the most beautiful flower um, so I guess in that context looking at what each individual needs and how we can meet those needs whilst bearing in mind personality types quite interesting Jose because I see in the background what do you have in the background in your office <laughs> what do I have in the background well I have my brother walking oh, is he the dandelion? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's actually a bit of both and definitely I mean we have got the orchid in here my wife loves them and they are the well both the Venezuelan and the Colombian sort of symbol the flower national flower we call it Ah. Um, and I wanted to ask you, uh, Charlie, speaking about the orchids and the, um, and the, dan is it, how do you pronounce it? Dandelion? Dandelions. Dandelion, sorry, dandelion. So I can, is it possible to be both every now and then? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a huge, uh, you can have be so many different personality types. So when we say orchid and dandelion, we're generalizing and we're going to an extreme okay. level. But absolutely, I think, and in different environments as well. I'm sure in certain environments we might feel more of a dandelion and in other environments we might feel more of an orchid. Fantastic. Well, and I'm, I'm seeing here that um, Tahir is loving the story. Haven't heard it before. Yeah, it's actually very, well, that's the beauty of stories anyway. Mm -hmm. um, Liz, anything to add at this point? Because I was thinking I've got another question in my mind. I think, no, just, um, you know, I think that, story is really um 
important to stress because you know a lot of people will say you know well you know I've been through the same situation for me you know I got through it was absolutely fine whereas other people um, might be more of that sort of orchid personality type more sensitive you know need specific things to thrive to you know feel confident um, and everything um, and I think um, you know it's, it's that piece of like you know just pull yourself together you know just um, do a list of your positive attributes as you were saying in your talk um, and you know just reflect back on those um, and you'll be fine but um, it's a lot more um, deeply entrenched um, than that you know so much so that you know people in very you know extremely successful roles CEOs or you know people in sort of public figures so many of those are um, victims or sort of um, survivors of um, imposter syndrome um, but actually, one of the things that I found really interesting, I, um, after I watched your video, I started sort of getting really um, watching more and more TED Talks about imposter syndrome. And there was one that particularly struck um, me, which was Mike Cannon Brooks. Now, we might not necessarily know his name. It's the CEO of one of the huge tech um, companies. It's um, Trello and um, Atlassian. Um, in, and he started a business from uni. Um, very much, you know, I want to do this to, so I don't need to get a proper job. I don't need to wear a suit for work, <laughs> you know, just, and he's managed to achieve both of those as well as a multi-million pound um, business. Um, but he was saying, you know, he um, suffers from um, this um, imposter syndrome and he's actually tried to find ways for that work into um, in his favour. So I think, you know, sharply, I don't know um, what you think about sort of, although there sort of can be a lot of ne negative connotations around um, imposter syndrome, um, do you see any circumstances that this could be used um, in someone's favour and sort of to better themselves or sort of um, to have a different take on things? <laughs> well, uh, you're guaranteed to work really hard if you've got the imposter syndrome you know, you're, you're going to work really hard because you're going to feel like you need to sort of to do that to overcompensate, I suppose. So you're always going, you find these people, as you say, in very high powered positions. Usually part of the reason they're in those high powered positions is because of the imposter syndrome symptoms, because they've worked so hard to kind of overcompensate. So yeah, absolutely. I would say that's, kind of a positive we have to be a little bit careful we don't want people to be overworking and burning out but um yeah and and also i think it's any of these things for me it's an opportunity for growth and the imposter syndrome is such an opportunity for growth and if you actually do the work with it you can find yourself in exactly the same environment you're still the ceo you still got all of those credentials but you're actually now starting to connect to them and to feel uh, to feel your success a little bit and that having come from a background where you haven't experienced that can be really amazing quite transformational amazing so Jose you had to you've got your questions lined up you're a good co-host for this <laughs> yes host. exactly yeah I'm a very good co-host and I've got many questions and the first one that I have at the moment is uh, say now we all understand what the imposter syndrome is because you've explained a little bit and some of us knew what it was before and that's fantastic. So say we come across a person that we kind of realize, we notice that the person has got that imposter syndrome but the person doesn't know it. How would you recommend uh, an approach in order to, for us to help that person realize that they're suffering from it 
And then because, you know, until they become aware, there's no, there isn't an opportunity for them to change. So what comes to mind initially is this kind of the, the symptoms and how they impact on a person. So they might not realize, certainly I had the imposter syndrome for years. I didn't realize I didn't have the language, the imposter syndrome. Hmm. But I knew that I had that fraudulent feeling when I was in an environment. I felt like, oh, I'm going to be found out for not knowing enough. Um, and that feeling of fraudulence uh, that has no correlation to your experience or your credentials. That's kind of the key uh, symptom. So it's encouraging conversation. And I would say leading from example. So to open up the space to make it safe for people to admit that that's what's going on in their head. So for example, drawing on your own experience, oh, I feel like such a fraud in this environment. How do you feel in certain environments? And try, oh yeah, actually, because there is a secrecy around it. A lot of the books that's written on this subject include the word secret. You know, because people have this feeling, but they think, I can't talk about this. Who feels like they can turn around to their boss and be like, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm actually terrible. I don't know anything. And, you know, so you kind of just hide it, hide it, hide it. So talking about it is so important. But it's helping people to realize that although that that is their truth, it isn't actually the truth. It's not based on fact. Hmm. I know, and, and I love that explanation, Charlie. Thank you. Because, I mean, would you mind in your own experience, because I admire you and the way, you know, you're, you're an actress as well, which you didn't mention, and you sing and you perform, mm -hmm. apart from doing the, the amazing public speaking that you do. Um, what was your um, journey like? Once you say, found out that you, you had, I mean, this imposter syndrome, once you put the label on, what was your process towards that change? Yes. So initially it was like this giant light bulb went off. Honestly, it was one of those eureka moments in life. I thought, oh my God, this thing has a name and other people have it. And just knowing that other people were experiencing this was a huge step because it took an element of the shame away rather than me feeling like, oh, I'm just inadequate. It was like, oh, all of these people are feeling like they're inadequate in these situations. Okay, fine. And knowing that empowered me to be able to do something about it. So initially, I just read everything I could get my hands on on the subject. Mm -hmm. I watched every TED talk I could see, anything on YouTube. Um, I went back to the original research article that when they first penned the term. And what I got was actually a feeling of disappointment because although the information was there and the research was there and that was fantastic, the kind of proposed solution was essentially just, like Liz was saying earlier, like, oh, just write a list of everything you've done well and read it. And I knew that it was gonna be a deeper and a longer process than that. So I started to break it down. What actually is going on here? And I broke it down in kind of therapeutic language that I was familiar with and I understood. So I realized that a huge part of this was perfectionism and these, this idea of having unrelenting standards. Mm. And, and um, yeah, so I was breaking it down into these aspects and then I was looking at how do you overcome or how do you manage these symptoms? So it became a manageable thing. And I just, just threw everything I knew and had at each symptom 
until I started to feel uh, different or better in myself. And then I would take what worked for me and I would try it with a handful of case studies. And then I would observe what was, what was different with them, what was working, what wasn't. And then I'd take the results from that and I'd chuck it at another load of case studies until I knew that, okay, this is working. And there's That's an interesting good. question from the um, audience, which is, um, is important, is, put my teeth back in, <laughs> the syndrome, not just excessive humility. So humility itself is broadly a good thing. Um, would the trick be to dial it down? So um, that's a sort of interesting view. What's your thoughts on that, Charlie? My thoughts would be, no, it's not. Um, it's, I can see the relationship between those two things and there definitely is one, but imposter syndrome, I guess it depends on your map of the world and your language. So for you, yes, it might be that. For me, I would say no. Um, humility is about being very, in my world, um, sort of very, very humble about what you do, you know, and not wanting to kind of get enmeshed with the, the ego. Whereas the imposter syndrome is like, uh, this punitive internal voice criticizing everything you do. So there's a difference between being kind of humble in your working environment and being kind of moderate with that ego relationship and not getting, oh, I'm the CEO and I'm amazing. But equally having that punitive voice saying, you're awful. And actually the language that is used in the, the critic when you explore it, it's, it's bullying. It's basically you're, you're engaging in a bullying relationship with yourself. Mm. And um, it sounds like you've sort of really done some amazing research around the subject. So from your reading and sort of your experience, um, how does imposter syndrome um, origin within the in individual? So where does that start? Where does that come from? Is there sort of research that has sort of put a finger on that? Yes. So again, we're looking at personality types to begin with. So it tends to be more prevalent in sensitive individuals, individuals who are, yeah, uh, the, the orchids as opposed to the dandelions. Um, environment plays an impact, obviously parenting, childhood experiences. I mean, if you were to look at the symptoms, this idea of this internal critical voice, that often stems from a punitive parent or um, role model. If you were, for example, my, my husband has dyslexia and he was always told by teachers that he was lazy, classic dyslexia thing. And his whole life now, he's now as an adult has to navigate the challenge of having a voice in his head that tells him that he's lazy. So what happens is our subconscious mind internalizes this kind of external opinion viewpoint. So if we've got a lot of people saying, that's fantastic, okay, you've made a mistake, but that's fine, what have you learned from that? If we have that sort of voice in our life growing up, then that's what we're going to internalize. If we don't, and we're an orchid, then it might be an adult, we can hear that kind of, and that voice doesn't have to come from parents or teachers, it can come from society, it can come from what we see in magazines. So a classic case when you look at people with eating disorders, yeah, they're looking at magazines and there's that element of comparison. So a lot of this is actually born and grown within societal norms as opposed to parenting, but it can be both for sure. Charlie, there is a question here now from Ernesto. 
Uh, is there a, di a direct correlation between self-esteem and imposter syndrome? If yes, could you treat imposter syndrome by also working on your self-esteem? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, really good point there. Yeah, huge correlation between confidence, um, this idea of yeah, self-esteem, self-confidence. With the imposter syndrome, you will be very good at something. So for example, you might have grade eight piano with distinction, but you're behaving and treating yourself in the same way that if you've never played a piano before, or you were very, very basic. So there's like an imbalance between the facts. So your self-confidence does not match, your self-esteem is not on a par um, with the reality. So part of overcoming the imposter syndrome, in fact, the main process is to get that self-esteem to match the ability, if that makes right. sense. Okay. And um, Well, I guess this is a question from me. Because you mentioned, obviously, the, the unconscious mind internalizing, obviously, everything that we've been told as we were growing up. Mm. So say it wasn't the, the you know, well done type of comments, it was actually the opposite. And I've internalized all of those negative comments. And then, hence, I don't think I'm good enough. So what would you recommend at this point to begin changing that? If you were going to, well, I don't like the word tape. So I guess at this point, it's just, you know, say I've got that. I believe I'm not good enough because that's what I've heard for so, so many years. What would be one thing that could help me at least begin to reframe that? Definitely language, how you're talking to yourself. Yeah. So at the moment, the habitual language that you're using is profoundly punitive. It's, it's highly critical and it's negative. So for example, something that I had to learn to change was like, if I made a mistake, the internal voice would say something like, oh, you stupid idiot, and I'd go to hell over it. So I had to change that. So when something happened, I'd hear this, oh, stupid idiot, and then I'd go, no, silly Billy. Now, if I make a mistake, I just hear silly Billy. So it's almost teaching your unconscious mind a whole new language so that instead of speaking in that critical voice, it's speaking in a kinder voice that's more accepting, more forgiving. Yeah, you kind of got to reparent yourself through language. <laughs> okay. Mm. Thank you, Charlie. And that's um, really interesting. You know, we're talking about sort of self-esteem, self-acceptance, but a question from James in the audience here. It's about how important is self-acceptance in defeating perfectionism? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to hear more from, from that question, like where, where that's coming from. I'd be interested in, in that journey. Um, yeah, perfectionism, my goodness, it's such a big part of this. Um, it's for me the most challenging aspect of the imposter syndrome because our society so encourages us to aim for perfect as opposed to good enough. And again, reframing that and working out what does good enough look like for me? And it's not that we're saying it has to be rubbish. It's fact, good enough is up here. Good enough is amazing. But taking the pressure, that additional pressure off ourselves to be perfect, which doesn't actually exist anyway. So reframing that. But yeah, I'd love to explore and talk more about perfectionism because it's a big theme at the moment in my work and fascinating yeah. stuff. 
Right, and we're getting a little bit of information from James. I can see he's typing yeah. out. In the meantime, some interesting um, question from um, T here, which is, um, how do you balance not having imposter syndrome with being self-confident but not qualified or experienced enough? So how do you recognise at what point it's sort of um, imposter syndrome um, if you're gaining experience and doing something new? Um, you know, when, when do you know it's enough? And I suppose that is a very internal um piece because you know what i found a lot with um clients or people perhaps setting up in business is they'll do a lot of research loads of research you know and reading around the subject and you know it's almost like a delaying tactic of sort of learning <laughs> you know learning more and more and more um, and it just becomes a sort of um action within and a project within itself without actually the action taking you know to take it forward so um, what's your thoughts about um you know balancing imposter syndrome versus just not being experienced enough yeah definitely well the first thing I say about that is that when they initially um, were learning about the imposter syndrome and first came up with that term it was through a study of students at university and they found that all of these students had the imposter syndrome um, and that's what kind of created this whole movement so if you think of a student at the start of their journey, they can still have the imposter syndrome. In that, for instance, it was these students felt like they hadn't earned their place at the university, that their admissions letter had been sent in accident. Someone else may be applied with the same name as them. So we can see that even at the beginning of kind of an educational journey, say, it's still completely possible to suffer from that. What I would say is a kind of counterbalance to that is everyone has a unique perspective just through being a human and having the parents that they had and the upbringing that they had and the experiences we all know stuff that no one else knows and that's hugely powerful so i feel like at any stage in our life even as a, a kid it's possible to experience the imposter syndrome um, and to be mindful of the symptoms. So am I hearing an internal critical voice? And is, is it the voice that I'm hearing? Is the criticism to do with my ability? You know, for example, if you've just started a journey and you're feeling inexperienced, are you actually inexperienced? Is the voice saying, you know nothing at all? Or, you know, it's like breaking it down and that's how you recognize it. Does that make sense? I feel like I've gone around in circles with that a little bit. Okay, perfect. Um, I was thinking about something as you were speaking, Charlie. And um, it's the fact that how is it possible because I'm, I'm thinking that the imposter syndrome, I'm going to change that label for a moment, that negative uh, dialogue, internal dialogue. If I tune it down or you know, change it in a way that becomes helpful, then it can be a bit of a good compass to have because it's actually make, allowing you to have that reality check every now and then because without it, then we would just go and do things that could be crazy, really, wouldn't they? <laughs> For example, I'm just thinking, you know, if I'm, I'm going to start a new business tomorrow yeah. and then if I haven't got that inner critic that says, I, really, have you got the resources? Have you got the ability? Do you have the knowledge? Things like that, then... In a way, it's, it's criticizing me, but there can be a positive spin to it. Does it make sense what I'm sort of trying to share? 
100%. So what you're saying reminds me very much of the Walt Disney model in coaching where you've got that kind of the pessimist sitting on the chair over there and then you've got the optimist and then you've got the realist. Okay, so the imposter syndrome is notoriously pessimistic. It's highly critical. So just like in what you've just said, this kind of, oh, I'm going to go and take over Pret-a-Manger tomorrow morning. Yeah, that's maybe that kind of too far positive. And then you've got that inner critic, like, no, you can't do that. But where we want to be moving from is that realist, right? That what I would call, refer to as a healthy adult mode. Yeah, so the healthy adult's amazing because it's the way, again, coming back to language, linguistics, so important. It's going to say, now, Charlie, if you go and take over Pret-a-Manger tomorrow, how are you going to feel about that in a few weeks' time when you've you know, given up everything you have? But it's not saying, you're an idiot for having that idea. What, what a terrible person you are. Does that make sense? So moving from that, that position of the realist, from this strong, healthy adult that's got your best, you know, it's, it's self-parenting, isn't it? Definitely. So it's how you're speaking to yourself. And I think that's really um, important. We've talked a lot about sort of perfectionism and almost that is a sort of ever moving goal. Um, it just keeps moving beyond your, yourself, sort of elusive. Whereas um, I think some of the audience have talked about, you know, actually once I've accepted what good enough is for me, it's sort of taken so much pressure off and actually sort of gives you the freedom to, to move forward. Um, so I think, um, you know, that's a really positive thing. Um, and you talked a bit about that, you know, you talking to yourself, in that negative voice and you know having that negative distortion um what uh, ernesto said um here is you know would a, would a good tip to be to sanity check with someone external objective um who can sort of help balance that view i mean having imposter syndrome you notoriously will not listen to sort of positive things said about yourself but has that been shown um in your research and your experience to help by getting an objective view in I think it's helpful to start rebuilding a new map of the world. Okay, I would say that if you use that as a strategy by itself, it might make you feel better for an hour, and then you're going to be back to square one again, because um, we're looking at notoriously low self-esteem here. However, getting regular feedback from people who you value, and especially from people who you trust who you know aren't going to just say something to appease you, but are saying something honestly, that can be really helpful. And to write those things down and to have that, as, as you say, was it a reality check? I can't remember, it's a lovely phrase, but yeah, to have that kind of reality check, um, but to be used in conjunction with other strategies. And I've got an interesting um, question here from the audience. Um, and after that, I'd be really interested in knowing your thoughts on the use of mindfulness and meditation in sort of combating um, imposter syndrome. So a question from T in the audience is, um, did, you, um, did you learning about the imposter syndrome give you confidence to start your own business as a coach? And do you think you would have done that if you um, weren't aware how much your um, imposter syndrome had been holding you back? I think that's a really good question. Oh, I love that question. Yeah, I know there's, I, I don't think I would have been able to do what I'm doing now without doing this research 100% because I wanted to firstly kind of um, 
just get to a point where I could function without this criticism all of the time. And once I got to that space, I was like, this is not something I can keep to myself. This has to be shared. So that was hugely motivating. It gave me a real sense of purpose in my coaching journey because the stakes were high because I knew how transformative that could be. Yeah. Hmm. That's amazing. And um, I know yesterday, so T, who asked that amazing question, she is a coach. Um, she's a mental well-being coach. Um, and we talked a lot yesterday um, about um, she's a big champion for mindfulness um, and meditation and how beneficial that can be um, personally, but also in business and, you know, success. So I know that's something that's an area that you're very interested in. So what's your thoughts around sort of the use of mindfulness and meditation in those that are suffering from imposter syndrome? syndrome oh it's just amazing I mean I feel like if I wasn't working with this kind of specialism that would be where I would go I am obsessed with the idea of mindfulness um yes so part of my sort of treatment process I don't really want to refer to it as that but when I'm working with people with the imposter syndrome it's kind of a 50 50 split between the conscious stuff um like the reframing and changing the language and then the unconscious stuff and meditation, visualization, hypnotherapy, bringing all of that together is a fantastic way to reframe and recreate a new map of the world at an unconscious level. And that's where all the change happens, isn't it? That's where all the magic happens. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I think just, anyone to sit with themselves with wherever they're at in an acceptance state you know so much of my experience especially within the kind of performing arts industry is that you've always got to be doing you've always got to be you know climbing the next thing and reaching out to that person and there's a lot of pressure so in any industry but especially that kind of highly competitive highly charged industry to be able to just take 10 minutes a day to sit and just accept, okay, this is where I'm at right now, is hugely supportive in the process because it's not as easy as one day you've got the imposter syndrome and you don't, right? This is an ongoing process of exploration, which at times can be incredibly tough. So to have that there as a holding mechanism, it's just amazing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so, um, I am I, um, interviewed Stephen Thompson, who's CEO of Big Daddy Digital, but he's very much a sort of fan of um, meditation. But he said not necessarily, you know, a lot of people might not necessarily agree with meditation or think that it's for them. But he said so he just calls it thinking time. And he says, yeah all the electronics away um and sit with a cup of tea because his podcast's called tea with steve so it has to have his cup of tea Love it. um and just thinking and you know i think he said and i i totally recognize this in myself as well you know that i'm um, getting caught up in doing and you know being sort of ideas person and you have all that sort of ideas coming up and chatter and i think you know that um, process of grounding and just slowing down is so positive and then you know just feeling like lifted and you know brain training um in terms of sort of quieting that negative voice um so i'm totally behind you there definitely so jose i don't know your thoughts on um being communication and connection specialist um what's your thoughts on um the use of meditation and mindfulness 
Well, you just mentioned something, uh, two things you mentioned that I can really relate to. And it's that chatter. And, you know, because I do have loads of ideas and I wake up full of ideas and thinking, okay, I'm going to achieve all of this. And then by the end of the day, I realize, wow, I haven't done even half of it. So what I've started doing and I, I like to do more of is just even if I take 10 minutes in the morning, as soon as I wake up, 10 minutes, phone off everything. I don't touch any technology. And I just sit with myself and just focus on my breathing, that has got such an impact throughout my day. Different to when I just wake up and grab the phone and just jump straight on it because I've got loads of ideas. When I do that, I even in a way organize my thinking process and even my physiology, everything changes throughout the day. So going back to what the two of you have said, 100% supportive. Uh, meditation, mindfulness is amazing. Even if it's just having breakfast, just, you know, focus on the chewing and enjoying what you're eating and take your mind off and then come back to whatever you were doing. Um, uh, definitely. I, I, you know, totally agree. Even if it's just five, 10 minutes, I think it has a huge impact on your day in terms of sort of just ordering, especially for those people that are very action focused and, mm. you know, lots of ideas and always thinking and find it hard to sort of slow down. Um, so there's a question from the audience, which is a difficult question. They said, I hope you don't mind. Um, but one could argue that to be a coach of um, imposter syndrome, you should be a qualified um, psychologist or therapist. So um, do you have any of these qualifications or do you find that your experience with um, imposter syndrome has sort of made you um, such a good um, person to be coaching on this subject? It's a really good question. So I have a training in psychodynamic psychotherapy um, and that's something that I am continuing to do. Um, I'm actually, hopefully, all things, fingers crossed, starting my PhD um, in January. So yes, the academic side of things is, is important. However, I was having this conversation with a friend the other day who's just started out as a coach. And she was talking to me about at what point do you start charging? And I very much felt like you start charging at the point in which you're able to offer value. Now, I do believe that I could be doing what I'm doing without the therapeutic training. Um, because even without that, although it's been hugely helpful in what I do, without that, I still believe I would be able to offer the value. Um, it's, it's a challenging one because it's an unregulated industry and there's a whole question of ethics, but as long as you are working within an ethical framework where you're not going to be harming anyone and none of the stuff that you're doing is going to be able to cause harm in any way then yeah I would say it's fine um yeah it's in just interesting I I often wonder with this like at what point do you and what you were saying Liz as well about it's so easy to keep going and getting more and more and more qualifications and that's definitely something I struggle with um I always just want to get the next thing and the next thing but um yeah where do you draw the line with that and I think for me that whenever I'm with a client what is always very clear is that it's my personal experience, not just with the imposter syndrome, but with clinical depression and overcoming that, that informs my practice more than being at uni and doing the, the therapeutic training. 
Um, so I don't know what others would think about that, but that's kind of where I'm at with it at the moment. Amazing. So uh, one question before we wrap up, because sort of time has flown, it's been really interesting. But before we wrap up, I know um, people might not necessarily have um, been diagnosed with um, imposter syndrome, but I know a lot of people will recognise some of the traits that we've talked about, that negative self-talk or doubt or feeling like you're in the wrong place when you're, you know, doing your role um, or in business. So if you've got, um, if you could sort of offer um, a couple of tips to those people, what would they be from all your experience of working with clients and your research so like my top three tips for dealing with the imposter syndrome yeah okay so number one is the language the linguistics restructure how you're talking to yourself and that's going to start with a process of noticing and becoming increasingly aware of how you're speaking to yourself and then beginning the process of changing that. Number two, externalize the inner critic. Yeah, get it out there. Have a chat with it. Who is it? Is it, is, does it have gender? Is it a monster? Paint it, draw it, find an image of it on Google, take it from being in here to outside and start communicating with it and find out what it's doing, where it's coming from. Number three, don't aim for perfect, good enough. What is your good enough? What would that look like? How hard do you have to work to get to good enough? Enforce that boundary in your life. How do you know you've achieved good enough? And, and be changing that relationship. They would be my right now. And it's always subject to change because every day when I work with different people, my viewpoint you know, transitions, it's a fluid thing. But right now today here, those would be my top three. That's great. I think that's a list of really actionable points. Um, you know, when we're having those wobbles, you know, it might not always be feeling like that, but you know, if it's you're doing something new or perhaps starting out in business, you know, these things do come to a head. So I think that's really actionable. So um, I, for one, have found this so fascinating and I'm sure that we'll be having you back at another time and we'll see what your tips are then when we're, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when we're asking you whether um, they've developed thanks Liz yeah might be completely different by then yeah and we've had some good feedback from the audience saying really brilliant um, and that they've learned loads and really enjoyed it so thank you fantastic discussion so Jose have you got anything to add before we sort of wrap up I'm I'm quite a visual person and Charlie out of all of those tips the one I'm taking with me of course the discussion has been amazing but I can see myself now drawing that imposter syndrome and I see it as a monster. And I'm even thinking, well, it came to mind as a way that it would work for me. It's just smash through that piece of paper and just, you know, rip it apart. Do it. Um, exactly. So <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to put that out there. Get creative with all of the tips, all of the discussion that we've had today. Go and apply it. It, it doesn't matter how much you know. What matters is how you feel about what you know and what you do with it. So go and play around with everything that we discussed today. Some amazing tips. Go and smash through it. Do whatever you want and just begin creating change. It's an amazing opportunity being part of this podcast and then taking action right after it. This is, you know, my last bit of contribution. 
Amazing. And, um, you know, and to our audience out there that aren't um, within the Zoom room today, um, we'd really like to hear your thoughts and questions and your own experiences. So when you see this podcast posted um, on various platforms, get involved. Let's ask us um, questions. We'll um, all be watching. Charlie will be um, involved as well. Um, and, um, you know, share how you found this today. Um, and moving forward, we're going to have some more exciting guests as part of our podcast. So if you'd like to be within our audience or even um, a guest um, to rival this amazing discussion we've had with Charlie today, then get in touch with either myself or Jose. Um, but thanks so much for being part and thanks to our amazing audience for asking such great questions. So a round of applause to you. Yeah, and thank you so lovely. much. Thank you, lovely audience. <laughs> So take care and follow us for the next episode of Lockdown and Then What podcast. Thank you.